0: We're discussing uh, tonight are speaking in different kinds of tongues. M- remember, this is plural, different kinds of tongues, interpretation of tongues, and discerning of spirits or distinguishing between spirits, depending on your translation. Those are the three and final gifts that we'll be discussing in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And really just w- verse 1 through 11, I'm going to read it as I do every week because it's the focal point of our discussion. It says this in verse 1, Now, concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware or ignorant. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to the mute idols, however, you were led. Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus is accursed, and no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit, there are varieties of ministries. And the same Lord. There are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, and to another the word of knowledge according to the same Spirit, and to another faith by the same Spirit, and to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit. Remember, that's plural. We talked about that last week gifts of healing and to another the effecting of miracles, and to another prophecy, and to another the distinguishing of spirits, or the discerning of spirits, depending on your translation, and to another various kinds, or different or diverse kinds of tongues, and to another the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually, just as He wills. Now, we've talked about the context And I'll just mention some bullet points again, that Paul is writing a letter to the believers, the church at Corinth, which he started. He was with them for a year and a half. It's been almost four to five years since he's been with them. They wrote him a letter with some issues that they wanted him to address. And he also heard about other things that they probably didn't write about. And these are primarily negative things that he's addressing. It's a remedial or corrective letter, mostly, not entirely, but there's a lot of correction in this letter that he's giving a church that he cares for deeply. He started the church. These are his people. Uh, he has a sense in which he feels l- like he's a father over sons and daughters. These are, these are those that he cares for very much. So as he addresses these things, he does so from his heart. And as you read throughout 1 Corinthians and even 2 Corinthians, he talks about how he has poured out his heart, how he has labored among them. And we see his heart as a pastor, as an apostle in First and Second Corinthians, really a lot more than almost any other le- letter that he wrote. He wrote 13 letters in the New Testament that we have. I, I think there's 26. Paul wrote half of the New Testament as we have it today. And out of those, you really see him pour his heart out to the Corinthians uh, because they're all over the place. And if you've ever had a child that's gone wayward on you, you know what that feels like because of what they're doing and where they're going, you know what's coming, and so your heart is being poured out. You want them to go down the right roads. You're doing everything you can to not control them, but help them strongly (laughs) down the right road, amen, because you know you can't control them, and you want them to make decisions on their own. But Paul uses all kinds of language uh, to really want want them to be helped, and we see it throughout these letters. Now, he, um, of course, is addressing their immaturity and these kinds of things. I've, I've shared with you the four principles for manifestation gifts. There are others, but these are the ones we focused on. Number one is manifestation gifts are expressions of the Holy Spirit. They're not our possessions. They're, they're His expressions. And to the degree that we're being led by and yielded to the Holy Spirit, we will see these as we gather together. Number two, manifestation gifts benefit the whole church. These are not, this is not something we shouldn't care about or can't care about. We need these. Why do we need these? They're in the Bible. Uh, We're encouraged to walk by the Spirit. We're encouraged to be filled with the Spirit, actually commanded to be filled with the Spirit. We need everything that the Holy Spirit gives. There's not one thing in the Bible mentioned that's of the Holy Spirit somehow we don't need. And we are incomplete if we're not utilizing what God is giving us. So we, these benefit the whole church. Manifestation gifts address the needs of the whole church. We all have needs when we come together in this room, just as we discussed, as we prayed. And the Holy Spirit is capable, through you and I, to minister to every need that's in the room as we gather together. That, to me, is fascinating. That, to me, is amazing. That God knows everything, knows every need of every person on the planet at the same time. Surely He can address those as we yield to Him and come together to benefit one another in His love and His power. Number four is manifestation gifts are available to the whole church. So that thinking that says, well, I don't have the gift of prophecy, or I don't have the gift of healing, I need to call who does have the gift of healing when somebody needs to be healed so they can pray for, No, 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 no. If the need arises, we ask the Holy Spirit to release that gift in that moment. And that's the faith that we want to cultivate. You have to believe this in order to draw from what the Holy Spirit has and what the Holy Spirit gives. To the degree that we are limited in our thinking, I believe it will limit our ministry. And so if we believe that God gave me one gift and that's all I'm going to do, I'm not expecting any more than that. He doesn't use me in all those other areas. I think it's really cool what Pastor Ben does. If we think like that, then we're not even going to ask God to do through us what is needed in the person next to us. And so we want to get rid of that thinking. It's all about faith. And what I mean by faith, it's what we believe. What is it that you believe about gifts of the Holy Spirit? What do you believe? What do I believe about the Holy Spirit? What do I believe is possible when I step into a room like this with you wonderful people? What do I believe God can do? And I am limited according to that belief. Because our beliefs need to be founded on the Word, but we've got to know what the Word says and invest all of our faith into that Word by stepping out onto that. Okay, so that's very important. It's the reason why people have all these differences in their fundamental belief system. Because we act on what we believe. You live out what you believe. Believe it or not. I was reading a book today, and it was like the 19 gifts of the Holy Spirit. First of all, I don't like that title because not all the gifts that we've talked about are what we call gifts of the Holy Spirit. Some of those are gifts where it says, Jesus, having ascended, right, release gifts. So it says that the Son gave these offices, apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher. It doesn't say the Holy Spirit gave. It actually says, Jesus, when he ascended, he gave gifts to men. So we talk about the gifts of the Son, the gifts of the Father, and the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Manifestation gifts are gifts of the Holy Spirit. Surely God gives them through the Holy Spirit, but we categorize them differently based on what we read about in Scripture. And we're not trying to break it down to semantics, but it's important that we know the different gifts and the different functions. It's just important. Why? So that we can exercise them, so that we can come behind what Scripture teaches us about them. I was reading this book, and... I was going to show you, but I don't want to do that if it's not necessary, amen? Because <laughs> I think it's good to actually highlight heresy so that people reading, like I think there's certain people that have books out there that are just plain heretical, and I've said it from the pulpit, and I'm not ashamed to do that. Paul did that. He called out names. He called out people by names. It wasn't him judging that person as a whole. He was judging their message. He was saying, this person is carrying a wrong message. But I think that today there's, there's heresy, and then there's messages that I just wouldn't ag- agree with, but I wouldn't call it like heresy. I can understand how they arrived there. Maybe they could understand how I arrived where, where I did. But I was reading the book, and man, they're <laughs> I felt like they, they, all of what they said about speaking in tongues was seven full pages about what tongues is not. And I thought, that is the worst teaching on the planet I mean, who would go to that conference? Here's seven things that God doesn't do today. I mean, it just sounds like a terrible idea, a, pr- a terrible presentation. Let me teach you by telling you what something isn't. I mean, that's part of teaching, like breaking things down and removing the, or clearing the past so that we can build something. But there was one paragraph about what speaking in tongues is, and I thought, that's a person that has no idea what speaking in tongues is. And so they've invested all of their time and energy to tell people what it's not because of fear. I mean, I read every word that they wrote, and I couldn't believe it. And there were all the other miraculous gifts that were the same way. Now, I'm not bashing them because I didn't bring the book to show you, but I just, I put my head down and I thought, this is just terrible. I'll be honest with you, that was the word that I used in my head. This is terrible, you know. And I don't want to do that uh, with you tonight. I hope that as we go through Scripture that you'll be able to look at what the Bible says about these things. And you need to, I think you need to discern through what I'm going to say about these things, and I hope you do that every week, not in a skeptical or critical way, but in a way where we're really hinging on the Bible. So we want to be people that study our Bible, we want to be people that live out what our Bible says, but we don't want to be people that don't land. Do you understand the difference? If you never land on what you believe, that's not a good thing. It's not a good thing for you to just constantly have this apprehensive approach to everything uh, in the Scriptures. That's, That's not a healthy thing. There are some things that are mysterious, but not everything is mysterious. There's a way to uncover truth, and we either do take that path or we do not. But it's not healthy to just judge other people that do and us not ever take that path. We've got to have this this approach where we're landing so that we can live out what we believe. Amen? So vital, it's so important. That's what discipleship is really all about. In the day and age which which we're living, I know some of you are like, where's he going on these notes? Where's he going on these notes? Trust me, it will come back together. This is not a rabbit trail. This is just a side dish to the entree, friends. (laughs) That's all this is. But there's this. I think there's this attractive thing today that People say, it's like discipleship is about uh, causing you to think. It's about stimulating your thinking. I want you to think, and I want you to think differently. That's not discipleship. That's not discipleship. For you to come here and me to just make you think about something or to get you into thinking for yourself, I, I can guess this already. You already think for yourself. You're, you're already doing that. So if I think that my job in discipling people is to make them think for themselves, that's ridiculous That means that I'm not, I don't have conclusions. I'm not walking in things that I can help other people walk in as well. I need to take on apprentices. I need to take on disciples that I can teach and show and model to what it means to walk with Jesus. And I've got to land on some stuff in order to help those people do the exact same thing. Jesus wasn't like, hey, I just want you to think differently and I just want you to question everything that you ever believed. And I just want, he did challenge the status quo, he did challenge false doctrine. Jesus did do that, but He landed. He taught people the way of the kingdom. He taught people what righteousness was. He taught people what purity was. He taught people to make disciples, to share the gospel, to teach people to obey what I commanded you. He taught them what to do. Baptize them. This is practical stuff. And so he landed. We've got to land. We can't have this overtly uh, apprehensive approach to things. we got to jump into the river and, and let it go where it goes. Amen. So tonight we are going to, I want to start talking uh, with you about discerning of spirits or distinguishing of spirits. And I'll give you the definition. I think you have it on your notes. It says, this is what I wrote. The gift of discerning of spirits is the supernatural ability to recognize the life source, the life source behind something or someone. This gift is supernatural insight into the spiritual realm. I want to say this again. The gift of discerning of spirits is the supernatural ability to recognize the life source behind something or someone. That would be like what somebody is saying, what someone is doing. It's recognizing where that's coming from. Is that from God, is that from the enemy, or is that just from the person? That's the three arenas that can be discerned. Is this, from, is this a human thing, a person, is this a demonic thing, or is this from the Lord? What their teaching is, what their prophecy is, what they're saying, what they're doing. Now before we talk about what this is, I want to mention a few things that it's not, just two. The, the gift of discerning of spirits is not the gift of discernment. Now, I've got lots of books in my office on spiritual gifts, and most of them call this the gift of discernment. There is no gift of discernment in the Bible. You'll not find it. It's not in the Bible. There's no general gift that God gives to people where they're discerning. I challenge you to find it. I challenge you because I spent a lot of time looking for it. Couldn't find it. This is the gift of discerning of spirits. It is specific. It is manifestational. It is needed in a, in a moment, in a time. Uh, when we gather together, it's needed to discern through false teaching or good teaching or false words or real words. There's no general gift of discernment. Now, let me follow that up with some of the questions you might have in your mind. How do we gain discernment? We gain discernment by cultivating a life with God. We gain discernment by knowing the Word of God. We gain discernment by walking with the Holy Spirit. God gives us discernment, supernatural discernment at times. And often it is the gift of discerning of spirits that He is giving to us. But just this generalized, I walk in the gift of discernment is not a gift that the Bible talks about. That's not what this is. And you need to know that as we talk about this. And so I'm going to break this down hopefully a little bit for you because. I don't know why people say that. It's actually, in the spiritual gifts test, it's the number one gift that people have. On the test that people take, the spiritual gifts test, the number one gift that that people have is the gift of discernment. We all know what's up. (laughs) We all know what's going on. You might be a discerning person. But that doesn't mean that you have a, the gift of discernment. There is no gift of discernment in Scripture. I, I can't find it. So I want to tell you that. It doesn't mean you're not discerning. It just means there's not this overt gift that we find in Scripture. Now, number two, not the, this is not the ability to see the faults of others. Fault finding is not Christian, and it's not a gift. Actually, the devil is called the accuser of the brethren. If you have a ministry where you find fault with other people and you just by nature, you see what's wrong with everything and everybody, I want to gently nudge you that that is not necessarily or most likely not the Holy Spirit in your your life. The gift of discerning of spirits is not us seeing the faults of other people. Now, the gift of discerning of spirits could be something that shows us uh, in a scenario where there's something wrong or somebody that's saying something that's wrong, like for, for example, I was in prison ministry for three years. I worked with uh, Prisoners for Christ and Crossways Ministries, a couple other places, and I would go into all the major prisons in Washington State, jails, prisons, pretty much if it's some kind of incarceration, I, I've been there. I've actually met people uh, later on who came out of prison and said, I remember you, you uh, because I would come and ministered to them. Actually, I have a friend right now that the first time I met him was when he was in prison and I, and I preached at a service. And, and so that's where I learned to preach also. The, my first sermon I ever gave was in a, a medium correctional facility Shelton, in Shelton, Washington. There was about 180, 190 guys. I led 35 people to Christ. That was the first time I ever preached. It was awesome. It was awesome. And I had a dream about it before it happened. About three months before it happened, I saw the whole thing in a dream. And it's kind of funny how how that works. Well, anyways, my crazy life. But uh, and back then I was freaked out. I was like, ah, I saw this. You know, the people were with me didn't weren't really charismatic, and so they were like, bring it down a notch. (laughs) Just bring it down a notch. Maybe we shouldn't let you preach. (laughs) So, anyways, but there were these guys. um, There were these two guys that joined our team. And it was their first time with us. Now, we would go there and do four church services. That's what we do, just four in a row. Because in uh, Shelton or Washington Correctional Facility, there are four different places that you can be in prison, in that prison. There, it's a receiving center and a sending center where people come in to prison, and they actually are shipped out to wherever it is that they're going to stay. And some of them get to stay there. So we would do services in all of the, the, the quads and uh, lots of people. we probably see seven, 800 people in one day. And these two guys came this one day. It was the first time I had met them. And they had filled out their application. You have to fill out an application. You have to sign off on all these things or whatnot. And we went out to lunch that day. They were just helping me pass out Bibles or whatnot. And we went out to lunch, and I'm talking with them. I'm the youngest guy on the team. I'm probably 21. These guys are probably 40 to 50 years old, somewhere in there. And they know the Word of God. These guys know the Bible upwards, downwards, backwards, forwards, and I'm just listening to them. And they're, you know, in a way kind of assuming this role of teaching me the Bible at lunch and sharing all these things about Scripture. And I was so hungry, so I was just kind of eating it up. And, but I'll tell you, the longer they talked, the more something was just wrong a, 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 in my spirit. I, I didn't even know there was a gift of discerning of spirits. I had no idea that that was available. But I knew something was wrong. And I walked away to go use the restroom, and in my spirit, I was so troubled. You ever been troubled in your spirit? You don't even know, you don't even want to say it like that because you don't think that that's a legitimate way to say it. You just go, something's wrong. (laughs) So I was really troubled, and I'm carrying this. I have no idea why. I don't know what to say. I'm not going to say anything because what do I know? I'm just a young guy, only known the Lord for like a year or a year and a half. And as I'm walking back from the restroom, I heard the Holy Spirit say, they don't believe Jesus Christ is God. That's what I heard the Holy Spirit say. It's clear as day. Just So this discernment that I had came with a very specific word on my way back just from the restroom. And so then I sit down, and it was a very terrible lunch because I can't hear anything. It's just when they're talking, it's just static. I, I don't know how to explain that. So we make it through the lunch, and, you know, they part ways after all of our services, and I'm driving back with the ministry leader of, of Seattle Union Gospel Mission. I almost went on staff there, actually. Seattle Union Gospel Mission, my first mentor was the prison ministry director who worked for, for uh, uh, Seattle Union Gospel Mission, and so I'm telling him, and I have no idea how to say this. I'm like, okay, so you know these guys? yeah. I don't know how to say this, but I just have this sense that they don't believe Jesus Christ is God. He said, well, Ben, they filled out an application, and that's one of the boxes you have to check. It's like one of the five boxes you have to check. There's only five. I mean, you can't, it's not like you can miss it. One of the 20, you just overlook it. It's one of the five boxes you have to check. And so I said, no, I'm telling you, I, 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 it was like, I heard the Holy Spirit say this, but the whole time at lunch, I could feel this off of them. And he said, I just, I, I don't know what to, to say to you, but that I, don't, I don't feel that way. I, I never heard any of that. And, you know, these guys were going to start preaching and ministering in to seven, 800 guys. And this, is, and this is a receiving center, an ascending center, so these guys that they're going to start discipling are going to go out to all the other prisons. It's a very important ministry to protect. There's a lot of garbage and false theology in prisons today, lots. I mean, half of it they could just throw away. And so as I'm telling him this, he, he just kind of said, well, Ben, I don't know what to do with what you're saying, but you've got no evidence. And I said, you're right. I, I just needed to be faithful to tell you you're the leader. So anyways, um, we had talked like maybe a week later, and I asked the leader of the team, would you please just ask them? I couldn't, for a week, I just couldn't leave it alone. Could you just ask them and settle this in me? Don't tell them I told you anything. Just ask them, hey, guys, I don't care how you bring it up. Could you just do that for me? He's my mentor, and I just said, please, I can't can't let this go. And he said, fine, I'll do it. If that'll help, I'll do it. But he still just totally disagreed with me. It was this tension point between he and I. And I felt so, you know what I mean? I just felt so stupid. So it's about a week before we're going to go on one of these trips again, and it's an all-day excursion. We're about to leave a couple days from whenever it was that I I had talked to my leader, and he said, hey, I'm going out to breakfast with these guys, like, tomorrow, and I'll mention it to them, because he and I would talk once a week. So I said, okay, great. So he didn't call me that day, and I think the next day I called him and said, hey, man, hey, what's, you know, what's going on? And he said, Ben, you are totally right. I asked them the question, do you guys believe Jesus Christ is God? And the first guy said, oh, absolutely not. And it was just kind of one of those moments at the beginning of my Christian life where there was no evidence, there was no uh, comment, statement that was made that I could give to you that was concrete, that was solid. It was just the discerning of the life source behind what they were saying. Because what they were saying sure sounded good and it sure sounded right. But it's, it wasn't just a general discernment that I, that I had, that I walked in with every person on the team to know what everybody was thinking and going through. It was very specific, and it was very supernatural, and it was extremely needed, amen? And we need this kind of gift to function in the body of Christ more uh, and more, very specific, very supernatural, very spiritual, which is why it is a manifestation gift. Now, does God give us discernment? Like I said, yes. Do we grow in discernment? Yes, but these are not the same things, all right? need to make that distinction very clear. Now, uh, the three different sources, like I said, is the Holy Spirit, the de- demonic spirits, and the human soul. This is what we're discerning. Where is what somebody is saying or where they're coming from, where is it from? What's the source of, of this? Now, I want to give you some scripture references. The first one is Acts 16, 16. And this is where Paul has this encounter with a slave girl who has a spirit of divination. I'll just read it to you. It says, it happened that as we were, Paul and Barnabas, I believe, or Paul and one of his companions, as we were going to the place of prayer, a slave girl having a spirit of divination met us who was bringing her master's much profit by fortune telling. Following after Paul and us, Luke's writing, she kept crying out saying, these men are bondservants of the most high God who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation. Now what she's saying is true. But where she's getting that information from is not the Holy Spirit. She continued doing this for many days. Could you imagine somebody following you around as you were ministering? I mean, I just couldn't imagine that. She continued doing this, and Paul greatly annoyed. Is that the New American Standard Version? It is. Paul greatly annoyed. I was just wondering if that was the Message Bible. Uh, and turned and said to, to that spirit, not to the girl, but to that spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out at that very moment. And the masters of this slave girl were very angry with Paul because she could no longer tell fortunes and they lost their money as a result of it. But Paul could discern the spirit behind her words. What she was saying was true. True. But where it was coming from was a demon, and he casted the demon out. So we need this gift for that as well. We see this also in John one twenty nine. This isn't the demonic realm, but we see it says this. The next day he saw Jesus coming. This is speaking about John the Baptist. He saw Jesus coming to him, and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, or the sin of the world. This is he on behalf of whom I said, After me comes a man who is higher rank than I, for he existed before me. I did not recognize him, but so that he might be manifested to Israel, I came baptizing in water, John testified, saying, I have seen the Spirit descending as a dove out of heaven, and that dove remained on, or that what appeared as a dove, remained upon him, the Holy Spirit. I did not recognize him, but he, the Father, who sent me to baptize in water, said to me, He upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining upon him, this is the one who baptizes in the Holy Spirit. I myself have seen and have testified of the Son of God. What am I pulling out of this? The Father spoke to John the Baptist and said, who you see as you baptize, the one that you see is the Holy Spirit will, like a dove, will come down and rest and remain on him. When you see that happen, that is the one that you've been waiting for. That's the Messiah. When you read that account, nobody else saw what John saw. He had supernatural sight into the spiritual realm, and that's why the next day he says to Jesus, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This was the discerning of spirits, the life source behind the person. John the Baptist could see and have insight into this. John chapter 20, verse 1 through 12, and Luke 22, 43, you see supernatural discernment of angels or angelic activity. You know, angels are around us all the time. We, we kind of believe that, but there's a lot of folks that really don't. Because when a person were to talk about an angelic encounter, everybody's super skeptical unless people have either encountered angels somehow or they just have the faith for that. But I have found that much of the Western world is very skeptical of angelic activity. Now, of course, there, is, uh, there are those that would over, overly focus on that, and I think that that can be uh, that can be bad when that happens. There are environments that I've seen where it's, it's not healthy. But there's an- angels all around us all the time. We don't know where, they're, where they are or what they're doing, but there are times where we can discern that angelic activity. There's some of us, th- there might be a, the gift of discerning of spirits could be released to discern that. Why? Many different reasons. We discern angelic act- activity and that in the spirit there are things happening that we don't see. That's very encouraging to know that. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 6 that our wrestle, our fight, our war is not against flesh and blood, but principalities and powers. And for some reason, we accept the the demonic realm, but we don't often accept the angelic realm. Well, I want to tell you, there's a lot going on in the Spirit on your behalf right now. And it's awesome when you and I get a little glimpse of what that's like. And maybe there are some of you who have had that glimpse. I've had that glimpse on a number of occasions. I don't like to talk about it because I don't want to be, like, known for my encounters. You know, I don't, I don't want people to just be hungry for encounters. I want people to be hungry to share the gospel. I want people to be hungry to make disciples. I want people to be hungry to build community. And I believe in the process of that, we encounter the Lord. We encounter the Lord's messengers. That happens. But we should want to be aware of angelic activity as it, as it is part of God's purpose for us. It's not something that we should be overly hungry for, but we should be aware of that. It's happening all around us. It's normal Christianity, by the way, normal Christianity. Acts chapter 8, verse 18 through 24, um, there's a story there as well. I don't have time to get into that one, but let's talk about the function of discerning of spirits. And the first function is that it helps us, this gift helps us avoid deception. I always say the thing about deception is that it's really deceiving. That's a dumb joke. You don't have to laugh. It's fine. I mean, nobody wakes up in the morning and says, I'm going to attend the first church of the deceived. I mean, it just doesn't happen. And so the enemy works through deception. He's a liar. His main strategy is to deceive us through lies, trickery, and half-truths. The devil knows the Bible. He distorts it. He mutilates it. That's why false teaching is so dangerous. Not just false prophecies, but false teaching is actually worse, in my opinion, because false teaching is something, it's like a foundation. It's what we walk on every day. And if our doctrine's off then it can actually set a wrong trajectory for our life and practice, if you can imagine that. If we teach the Bible in erroneous interpretations of the Bible, these weird things about Scripture, if we teach that, it can set a whole community down a wrong path to do something completely opposite of what Jesus has us to be about. If you get a wrong prophecy, you just go, that wasn't God. I mean, it's easy, you just walk away. But if you're listening to false truth in your ear, and you're thinking that's what the Bible is saying... I mean, that can set your foundation off considerably. I think that over time, people teaching the, the Bible in heretical ways is actually far worse than, than anything else, far worse. And it's done more to distort Christianity than, than anything in all of history, I think, combined. People are always like wanting to stone the prophets who might miss it or whatever. I, what about false teachers, friends? Why do we give so much grace to people that just flub it? I mean, I don't get that. It's kind of like, well, you know, I mean, you know, this, this, we, we sort of mess with like the virgin birth. I remember the first book that I read um, by Rob, a guy named Rob Bell, and I read the book, and he starts kind of like, you know, if the Bible did you know, if, if, if the virgin birth didn't really happen, it's called Velvet Elvis, if the virgin birth didn't really happen, you know, I mean, I mean, would it really change our faith in Jesus? Yes, sir, it would. <laughs> I mean, I don't know why red flags didn't go up. I was around a lot of people that... That loved his teaching, that loved his books, that loved his Numa videos. And no red flags were going up. It was obvious at that moment to me that we need to know the Bible a whole lot better. And then you go fast forward down the line, and he comes out with a book called Love Wins. And he shares his basic view that hell is, is a place but not a place. And everybody's really saved and doesn't, they just don't know it yet, and even if you die and you haven't given your life to Jesus, you can still go to heaven because ultimately one day you're going to repent, and, and that's what people believe. They do away with eternal consequence, so then sin doesn't matter anymore. What you do in this life doesn't matter anymore, and the cross is so powerful that everybody ultimately is going to get there. That's called inclusionism. It's called Christian universalism, and it is heresy, It has always was heresy, it is heresy, and we should have seen it coming when we read His first book. People that are off are off. It's not judgment to say it. We've got to say it. Where it applies, if the shoe fits, or kick it off in this case. (laughs) Do you understand? There's heresy out there. Like I said, there's a difference between somebody teaching a little bit, you know, I'm not sure exactly what this means, or there's some differences on spiritual gifts. I can jive with that. That's not like heretical. That's not going to lead people necessarily down the wrong roads. It could lead people to have a bad attitude, which sucks if you have to wake up next to that person. But heresy is heresy. And so I don't have a problem when I really feel like people like this are going down those roads. You put a level on it, it's not level. That's the way it is, spiritually speaking. The Bible is the level. I'm not the level, you're not the level the Bible is. We put the level on it. If it's not level, we should say something. That's not my ministry is to sound the alarm on everybody that's out there, but where it's clear and there's influence, we should say something. It should irritate us, it should bother us. Why? Because Eternity is at stake, friends. You understand that, right? Eternity is at stake for some people. I've watched people go down the road of false teaching and false theology, and their life is shipwrecked—absolutely shipwrecked. We've had people in our church that have come from a place called Community Chapel, that was in Bremerton or Burien or wherever it was, and man, they started believing like Jesus Christ wasn't God, and then they got into like spiritual dancing. Before you know it, half the church is divorced and. Shacked up and hooked up with other people. I don't know if any of you remember that movement, but that was a big thing in Seattle. It hurt a lot of people. And while it was going on, people were excited. Well, now we're on the other end looking at what happened and the consequences of people not raising the red flag. We need the gift of discerning of spirits. Not for every minute detail, but the biggies are biggies. Remember that when you're reading a book if somebody even flirts with the idea that Jesus isn't God, I mean, seriously, a man did not die for your sins. Not one man descended from Adam could die for our sins and us be atoned for, covered, and forgiven. It's not possible. God came in human flesh. It's a mystery. The triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, they are yet one and separate and one. and I don't understand. It's just the way the Scriptures reveal God. But we need the discerning of spirits to help us avoid deception. Deception is all around us, and it's why I'm so after people knowing the Word of God for centuries, for for years and years. People, ordinary people, couldn't read the Bible. None of us could have a Bible in our hands, and now they collect dust on our, our bookshelves And it's just not fitting for the people of God. There were times and ages where nobody could ever read, and and there were people that, that lost their lives so that the common person could have a Bible in their hands. And we can't yawn when we're reading the Bible. We've got to ask God for a spiritual awakening so that we can be people that are walking in the light as He is in the light, that darkness doesn't overshadow us and overtake us. And we go, whoa, how did that happen? It happened because we weren't walking in the truth because we weren't walking with the Lord, and we can't afford deception for any of us, our friends, our family, we need to ring the alarm and not be ashamed to do so. Not be ashamed to do so. There's a lot at stake, and you just can't disagree with that. You just can't disagree with that. There's so much at stake. Our children, what are they going to believe? What are they going to know? This stuff is serious. This stuff is serious. The enemy loves division, You know, there's a scripture that says, strike the shepherd and the sheep will scatter. Right? There's no wonder. The enemy loves to take out leaders, to deceive leaders. He loves to do that because he knows exactly what's going to happen. You strike the shepherd and the sheep will scatter. Let's, Let's start from the top. Let's just knock them out. No. We got the gift of discerning of spirits. We got the gift of discerning of spirits. And we can cultivate that. We can tell when somebody's off by reading their book, by listening to their sermon, by just perceiving their spirit. We can tell. God can show us this kind of stuff on a supernatural level. And we can't do it on our own, not alone. There's no Lone Rangers. It's as a community. We're accountable one to another. These gifts function in unity in community. So discernment is our first defense when the enemy comes to deceive. We can pick them off right there. It's our first defense. It's not our only defense, but it's our first. In the Bible, there are a lot of moments where we see people deceived with a lack of discernment. You see like Adam and Eve, for example. I mean, it would be really awesome to apply that gift right there. You, you, know, you understand what I'm saying? I mean, here's Eve, and here's the snake. And the snake's like, hey, did God really say? A discerning of spirits. <laughs> You're a talking snake, get out of my face. I don't know what needed to happen in that moment, but that would have been a really nice time to just wind it back and and give it to the devil. Or like Samson, for example, Judges chapter 16 verse 10. I mean, he had a, I mean, he was a womanizer and whatnot. I mean, he he had some lust, serious lust problems. But it would have been really great if he could have discerned his wife asking him questions about his hair. And pressing in, what is the source of your strength? Come on, tell me, seriously, you've got to tell me. I'm a Nazarite of God, that's all you need to know. I mean, it would have been great if that man had the discerning of spirits in that moment, don't you think? But he got deceived. He lost his life. There's some serious things in Scripture where you read and these things would have been very helpful. Matthew 24, 4, Jesus is talking Regardless of what our eschatology is, he's talking about the end of time and he's, or as the summing up of all things. And Jesus answered and said to them, see to it that no one misleads you. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ and will mislead many. People are being misled. Jesus actually told us it was going to happen. He said it was going to happen. Many false prophets will arise and will mislead many. But we think that they're going to come in forms that we all know and see as clear as day. And without knowing the Word of God and without knowing the Spirit of God, I'm telling you, you and I are targets for deception. I'm not trying to promote fear. I'm just, I'm trying to press you into your relationship with the Lord and with community. The way that we are safe is by the Spirit. That's what this Scripture is telling us, the discerning of spirits. Can you imagine that they actually needed this gift They didn't have the canon of Scripture like we do. Even though we do, we don't always know it. But they didn't have the canon of Scripture. They didn't have the Bible the way that we have it. And so somebody says they're apostle. They would come through and they would teach in the house churches, house to house. And as they would do that, they needed to have this gift to discern if this prophet was from the Lord or if this word was from the Lord or if this teaching was really from the Lord. They needed this gift. I think we need it just the same. I think we need it just the same. Number two, it helps us identify the work of the enemy. Obviously, the main work of the enemy is deception, but we need to identify the work of the enemy to cast out demons. You know, there's a difference between somebody being angry and a spirit of anger. When people are really demon hungry, or they just, that's all they see is just demons everywhere. It's like, that person has a spirit of anger. I'm like, no, I think they had an argument with their spouse on the way into church, but appreciate your courage by saying that. That's really awesome. There's a difference, and we need to be good at discerning the difference. Instead of just saying something's demonic, we've got to have this functioning in our life more and more and more, in our community more and more. You know, is this person just wounded? Are they angry? Are they upset? Are they jealous? That's a work of the flesh according to Galatians chapter 5. Envy is a work of the flesh. It's not a demon. There's clear passages in the Bible as to what a demonic work is. I pick up these books um, on the spiritual warfare, and one book that I have has like, I I think it's 20 to 30 different verses that identify 30 different demons. I went through all those verses. I'd say the majority of those verses have nothing to do with demonic activity. And here's what we say. Here's what we say. We go, well, it could be, but that's not what it says. Okay. We've got to get better at reading the Bible. Do you agree with me on that? You've got to go back to how to study the Bible class. we just got to go right back. But that's what we do. We make, ex- we make exceptions for everything because it fits into what we've been taught or what we've been told. I've seen a lot of warfare teaching and a lot of warfare ministry that's just ineffective, counterproductive. People are trying to cast out the flesh. You can't cast out the flesh. You can't cast out the flesh. We have to learn as the people of God to obey God. I've watched it. It's painful to watch people cast out the flesh. It's painful. I've even let people try to do that before because it would be really nice. Just take that desire. I don't want to have to try to obey, I just want it gone. You know what I've learned after being on prayer teams and leading prayer teams for long enough is that when people come up to me, they want the quick fix. They don't want the long, arduous task of building a relationship with Jesus where we actually have to depend on him. We, we, I mean, some spiritual warfare ministry is all about being perfect. If you, if you reach the conclusion of some spiritual warfare ministry, deliverance ministry, it's that somehow, way, wholeness means that you're never going to have a temptation or you're never going to have an issue. I'm sorry, that's not reality. But when people come up to me and they ask for prayer, sometimes I tell them, God's not going to take away your temptations, but God will give you strength to overcome your temptations by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the Bible, and that's what the Bible teaches. That's why we need to renew our minds according to the Scriptures. That's why we need to know who we are in Christ. We need to know the authority that we have in Christ. My ministry is not going to teach you to take authority over the situations in your life. I mean, I might teach you that, but you've got to exercise that authority on your own. And if we're not equipping people to take authority in Jesus' name, they're going to just come back to us like counselors. And that's not what we are. We're here to help. We're here to encourage. We're here to equip. But at some point, every person that walks with God has got to rise up on their own in their relationship with God and become who they're meant to be. And so when we discern the work of the enemy, we want to learn how to cast demons out of people. Now, if this is something that's foreign to you, Uh, Then it it doesn't have to be because there is a lot that passes, I think, under the guise of other banners that really is demonic, and there are a lot of things that people say is demonic that really is the work of the flesh. We need the discerning of spirit's gift to help us identify what's what so that when we cast the demon out, the demon comes out instead of trying to pull the flesh out of somebody, which you know is not going to happen. We also, it helps us to identify what God is doing. Help us helps us to identify what God is doing. And we have supernatural insight that God is moving in someone's life and what He is doing, like we read about in John chapter 1, where John the Baptist was able to see uh, about Jesus. It also helps us, uh, helps us help others. I didn't know how else to word that. Helps us help others to see clearly. And we see something, we discern in someone's life, whether it's the work of God in their life or the work of the enemy And then we come to them and we're not just, we're not the answer. Our discernment can be used to help that person see and address whatever it is that's going on in their life or be encouraged if it's the work of God and we encourage. It also helps us to know what to pray for. There are times where it's not just about addressing a thing. It's really about what is it that we're supposed to be praying for right now. And the discerning of spirits will give us that ability to do that. We'll discern the situation. We'll discern what's going on. Say we have some tension or we have an issue that we're dealing with. I mean, it could just be like, let's say a church is coming up against like a, some kind of resistance from the city. We've had that happen before. And instead of just blaming it on, this, you know, this is a spiritual attack, we want to have the discerning of spirits. Is this really an attack of the enemy? Because if it is, then we pray a certain way. Or is this just somebody that, you know, we go down and we love on them? I, I mean, I don't know. It, it could be a spiritual attack or it might not be, but we want to pray according to what the Lord shows us. And that, that's where the discerning of spirits gift can really... Help us. Amen? Now, there's more to it than that, especially in the supernatural arena where we see in the things in the Spirit. But I don't, I don't, I'd be more for an advanced class and I'd have to know where most of you are to talk more about that. Okay? So, oh, come on. (laughs) Justify my existence. (laughs) I'm not going to do that tonight. But... Like uh, it can, it can, uh, these, again, these gifts dovetail into other gifts. Like this, this gift can dovetail into prophecy quite a bit, right? It can dovetail into prophecy quite a bit. These gifts are interdependent often on one another. So, like when I discern something about a person, I often, uh, you know, the Lord will give me a prophecy in the opposite direction, for example. He'll give me a prophetic word. Let me say one last thing about the discerning of spirits. If you're functioning by this, or if you ever have this happen, Or if this happens frequently, maybe it's more cultivated in you. You're you're used to it. You can discern this is what's happening. This is going on. And I I, want to just say that, that God does show us things that are wrong. But we want the Lord to train us to see what He is doing by the Holy Spirit. And we need to ask Him to train us to see angelic activity, what the Holy Spirit is doing, how He's moving in someone's life. I just get, as a pastor, I just get tired of people only seeing demonic issues, or what's wrong with others. That's why I say, and I'm not trying to be cute, but when I say that it's not about fault finding, I mean that with all sincerity, that somehow this gift has been passed off as a fault finding ministry, and that's not from the Lord. He will show us things that are wrong. We need to know that. But we also, alongside of seeing what's wrong, have to know how to address, if it's the work of the enemy, we ought to take that very seriously. Instead of just be like, I know that person is just, no, that person is loved by God, created in the image of God, and might be very confused. So what does the father say about that person if that is truly going on in their life? See, it's got to be matched with the maturity as we exercise these gifts. Amen. All right, tongues and interpretation. I'm going to bring these together because there's not a whole lot to say about interpretation because these ones really come together as a package. So definition one is the, is the actual gift, the uh, gift of di- different kinds of tongues or languages. The word tongues just means languages. Is the supernatural ability to speak or pray in a language not known by the speaker. I'm going to say that again. The gift of different kinds of tongues or languages is the supernatural ability, where God gives this supernaturally to someone, to speak or pray in a language not known by the speaker. Definition two, the gift of interpretation of tongues or languages is the supernatural ability to understand and communicate in a known language the meaning of the unknown language or the gift of tongues. It's obviously just the gift to be able to interpret what that person has just said. Now, the gift of tongues and the interpretation of tongues is probably, in my mind, the most misunderstood. I don't know. To me, it's not the most controversial, but I feel like it's the most talked about and misunderstood gift for whatever reason. I think there's more fear when it comes to that gift with people than almost anything else. People kind of think that it's weird. I, 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 don't, I don't know why, but I talk to many that think it's really weird because there's a dimension of just obviously we just don't know as we step out and speak. Remember, the Holy Spirit isn't just flushing this through you. He's not coercing you. He's not making you. He gives you the words, and you're, you speak them out So there's a partnership in that. By faith, we speak those words out. So a lot of people are afraid to step out. It's kind of like the same when you get a word from the Lord and you're not sure if it's from God. You ever felt that that sense that you have, well, I'm not really sure if it's good. And I can always tell when people are like, Well, I kind of feel like I might have a word, maybe. I mean, you probably have heard this before. I'm not really sure if it's from the Lord. I mean, it could be me. I don't know. Like, I'm not good at this. I've never, this might be my second time doing it. I don't even know what I'm doing. But I think that God may have just put something in my mind for you that potentially could encourage you. I think I'm doing this the wrong way. Could you just, can I just take a break for a minute? I'm not sure if this is working. (laughs) Do you, are you with me, or can I just take one more minute? I'm not sure. <laughs> we just hope that person's a Christian, <laughs> you see, when that happens. It's quite an exaggeration, but you understand what I'm saying. And, and it's, that, it's that tension where you don't know what you have is from the Lord. Well, speaking in tongues, or so the gift of different kinds of tongues, is the same way. And that you, God gives the words, but you have to utter them. You have to speak them. Now, I want to talk to you a little bit uh, for the remainder of our time about the different kinds of tongues. Now, I don't mean that in the same definition of the gift, but there's different kinds of tongues that are referenced in the Bible, and we don't want to be confused about that, okay? We don't want to be confused about that. And the first one is tongues as evidence of the baptism with the Holy Spirit. And this is not the same thing as different kinds of tongues referenced in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. That gift is not the same thing as every time you read about tongues in the Bible. They're not all the same thing. Just like faith. Remember we talked about faith? There's the gift of faith. There's the measure of faith, saving faith that you're given to believe upon Jesus Christ. And then there's ever-increasing faith, or gr- the faith that you grow in to believe God for things. Remember I talked about three kinds of faith? And we need to know that whenever the Bible says faith, it doesn't just necessarily mean the same reference it's talking about it could mean saving faith. It could mean the gift of faith. There's a difference there. And so the first one is tongues as evidence of the baptism with the Holy Spirit. Now, I, I took the liberty to, to basically bring up all six uh, moments in the book of Acts where the Holy Spirit, people were filled with or baptized with the Holy Spirit. The first one here is in Acts chapter 2, Jesus told his disciples to go into Jerusalem and wait. For the promise of the Father. They were already believers. They've seen the risen Christ. John 20, 21, He breathed into them and said, receive into yourself the Holy Spirit. There's 120 people that are waiting for the baptism with the Holy Spirit, the promise of the Father. They're all believers. That's why they're there. They all believe in Jesus. And so, in Acts chapter 2, they're waiting, and here's what it says. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all gathered together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. So a noise, this is supernatural phenomena that happened, a noise filled the house, mighty rushing wind, and then appeared to them tongues as a fire distributing themselves, and they rested on each one of them. So if you can just imagine just little flames of fire resting on every person's head in this room. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues, other languages, as the Spirit was giving them utterance. The Spirit gave them the words, and they spoke out the utterance that they were given. Now, these believers were baptized, and they all spoke in tongues and prophesied, and this was the first time that this had ever happened, and this was evidence to them that they were baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit because they didn't know what they were waiting for. But some people wonder why this happened. And it's interesting because the question was asked, what does this mean? You read verses 7 through 11, and there are 13 different dialects or different languages that were spoken by those that were filled with the Holy Spirit. As it says, Parthians and Medes and all these different people heard them praising God in their own language, and they thought, aren't these Galileans? I mean, they can't speak our language. And if you count them, there's 13 different languages that were spoken By these people who did never learn these languages before. It was supernatural. And so these were known languages. These weren't like spiritual languages that nobody could ever know. It's very important to know that. So the question was asked, what does this mean? And then Peter gets up and he quotes from the prophet Joel. And he says, it shall be in the last days, verse 17. God says that I'm going to pour out my spirit on all mankind. And your sons and your daughters will prophesy. And your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. And he just talks about them Having the Holy Spirit, in the Old Testament, this wasn't possible. In the New Testament, this is now possible. This was an opening up of the pouring out of the Holy Spirit on all mankind. And that doesn't just mean all people. We've talked about that before. Not like psychics have the Holy Spirit or, you know, and so do Christians. This actually meant not just Jews. Not just the first covenant people, but also for Gentiles. That's what this was talking about. And so this was a moment in history that we've got to understand. In Genesis chapter 6, God confounded the languages. You remember when they were going to build the Tower of Babel? And as they were building the Tower of Babel, He says, as they come into unity, they all have they're one, of one mind, of one accord, with one language, I'm going to confound the languages... So that they're scattered and there's nothing that they can do together in this, in this way. And so you see that's what happened. And then God brings them together in this moment. This is a moment of history. This wasn't, this wasn't just a Pentecostal kind of a thing. This was something that was prophesied by Joel. Get out, get, If you're Pentecostal, get out of your Pentecostal box for a minute. This was prophesied hundreds and hundreds of years before it happened. They had been waiting in this room together, 120, the only believers in Jesus were waiting for something and they didn't know what was going to happen. And so here they are and the Holy Spirit's poured out, these supernatural things happen and they speak 13 different languages that nobody had ever learned before. This was seriously supernatural. It wasn't just a Pentecostal meeting where people were filled with the Holy Spirit and they fall on the ground and I'm not dismissing that, I'm not putting that down, I'm just saying this this was a moment of history. History. This was a moment of history. The church was born, and God was bringing, this is a prophetic moment. He's bringing people back together in unity. That's why when you look in Revelation, it talks about every tribe, kindred, nation, and tongue coming together, worshiping God. This was a prophetic moment. It was a prophetic moment that was happening. And so it's a huge thing, and I want to magnify that in, in your mind beyond some of our boxes, and so you have this moment that, that happens, and they, from this point on, they, they, they speak in tongues, and we see that in this moment, they're, they're known languages, but they're unknown to the person that speaks, is supernaturally given. In Acts chapter 4, you see where the Holy Spirit is poured out. I could go through them, it's poured out, and it says they were filled with boldness, and they went out to preach the gospel. No tongues were given uh, here. Acts chapter 5, Philip the evangelist ministered to the Samaritans, and they received Christ. And the apostles heard that they heard that they had received Christ, and they came down and prayed for them to receive the baptism with the Holy Spirit. And it doesn't say that they spoke in tongues, but it mentions that people saw something that happened. So whatever happened, it was something external. They saw it. So we, we can infer that it was speaking with tongues. We can infer that it was prophecy, but we can't actually say that. It's called an argument from silence. And that should be illegal in theology, but many do it. But we can't say, but it was something external. Acts chapter nine verse three: a man laid his hands on Paul and he received the baptism with the Holy Spirit, And uh, he doesn't say that he spoke in tongues, but tongues are mentioned later by Paul in 1 Corinthians 14, where he literally tells the church, "I speak in tongues more than all of you." Verse 18, you can read it for yourself. He also says, "I wish that all of you spoke in tongues." But he says to them, "I speak in tongues more than all of you, but I would rather speak five intelligible words when I'm in the church, so that people would be strengthened and edified." So we know that he speaks in tongues. Here's here's the thing. Tongues, in my theology, is not the evidence of the baptism with the Holy Spirit. It is an evidence. And it is the primary evidence of the baptism with the Holy Spirit. You can't argue with that because it happens throughout Acts. Acts chapter 19, same thing happens in Ephesus. They prophesied and they spoke in tongues. It is the primary evidence. But there are other evidences that can happen When people are baptized with the Holy Spirit, we've got to believe that just from Scripture because there are two times where it doesn't say that, and there is no Scripture that ever says this is the way that people have to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Theology is determined not by what the Bible shows, but by what the Bible says. There's a huge difference between the two. Now, I was raised to believe that the evidence with the baptism with the Holy Spirit is always tongues. But the more that I ministered to people, the more I would see people receive power, not necessarily tongues, and they would go out preach the gospel boldly. And I was like, that looks like power to me. Billy Graham looks like he preaches with power. And you can't, I don't care how Pentecostal you are, but you can't look me in the face and honestly tell me that Billy Graham is not baptized with the Holy Spirit. A guy that's led millions of people to Christ, most of us have struggled leading one person to Christ. That man was baptized with power and you know it. And so there are, these, there are these obvious things that happen where we've just... Now, that doesn't give us an excuse to not want to speak in tongues. And that also bothers me. It bothers me that people use that as a reason to not pursue the gift of tongues. If you don't speak in a prayer language, which we'll talk about in a moment right now, you can. God can give that to you. If you're afraid of that, if you don't want that, if you don't want something that God will give you, that's problematic but it's not a marker of your spirituality. Listen, if you speak in tongues, you're not going to love people better tomorrow. It's not going to happen. You're not a better Christian than the person sitting next to you if you do, if you do or don't speak in tongues. That's, not, that's just not the case. I know a lot of not-so-nice tongue talkers. Maybe I've been one before. But the evidence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, here's what I believe. I believe most of the time that people are baptized with the Holy Spirit, they speak in tongues. That's what I believe. And when I pray for somebody to be baptized with the Holy Spirit, I encourage them that if God gives the utterance, you speak the words. Because we have a confusion over that, don't we? We think God's going to flush it through us. And so some people will like coach people. They'd be like, hey, brother, just shut up, just do it. Just say it. Shota you know, about just, Honda. You know, just come on, man. You got it. Come on, man. Come on, row your boat. Come on. You know, they just, you know, people don't need help. You know how many people I've helped out of that thinking because somebody tried to do that to them? <laughs> I won't tell you who, but there was this large church, not in this area, but in another area, that used to just really coerce people hardcore. And I think I probably prayed for two, three dozen people, you know, to help them with that issue because they were just so damaged by that. They felt so forced and coerced and manipulated, and I had to help them out of that situation, that thinking that, that they're not spiritual. All this stuff started, this damage started happening to them. And, and the majority, almost everybody, this is the truth, almost everybody I have ever prayed for to receive the gift of tongues or the, I would, not the gift, but the prayer language has, almost everybody I've ever prayed for. So I actually have that fruit. That's not an arrogant statement, it's just reality. Almost every person I've ever prayed for to receive their prayer language, to pray in a language, an unknown, a spiritual language, almost everybody that I've prayed for has received it. It doesn't always happen right as I pray for them. One of the hardest cases, well, I don't. I probably shouldn't go there. They might watch this. But one of the hardest cases was a hard case. Just leave it at that. And my my thinking to them was, don't you just want everything that God wants to give you? I mean, don't you? And finally, they softened up to that idea, and the fear started falling away from them. So baptism with the Holy Spirit, evidence of baptism with the Holy Spirit is speaking with tongues. You can make a case almost every time it happened in the book of Acts, it was actually a known language but unknown to the speaker. And some people make that case, and then they say, well, that's all that there is. Well, no, there's not because... When we read in 1 Corinthians 14, Paul expands what tongues was into what it is, and there's actually two different dimensions that he discusses. And most scholars agree, even scholars that don't necessarily have this view, they agree that Paul is talking about two different things. You know, so Pentecostal and Baptists alike, a lot of them that are really doing their due diligence on, the, on these passages, they have to say there's a couple things that are being talked about here, and you can't ignore it. So the tongues is a personal prayer language. This is where we distinguish the gift of tongues mentioned and the prayer language called tongues, also the, baptis- the evidence of the baptism with the Holy Spirit. We often call this a prayer language. Look at 1 Corinthians 13.1. Paul said, if I speak with the tongues or languages of men and of angels, but I don't have love, I'm, I'm nothing. Why would Paul even throw that out there? You know, in our book that Gordon Fee wrote, he said, it's not a good idea to use that theologically. I go, why? I don't think he would use it randomly, there's a, you know, angels have languages. It's a realm of the Spirit. It's languages of the Spirit. This is, this is absolutely the case. And so we can speak spiritual languages as God gives us the utterance. First Corinthians 14:1, pursue love, yet earnestly desire spiritual gifts, especially that you might prophesy. Especially, that's an emphasis. For one who speaks in a language or tongue does not speak. Whenever it says tongue, it means unknown languages, unknown language to the Speaker, he does not speak to men, but to God, for no one understands, but in his spirit he speaks mysteries. Now, you should underline that because that's a very important point. But one who prophesies speaks to men for edification and exhortation and consolation. One who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but one who prophesies edifies the church. Now, I wish that all of you spoke in tongues. That's Paul's desire. That's my desire for everyone in this room, everybody that's watching in live stream, anybody that will ever watch this or listen to this. My desire, I just... Step into that verse. I wish everybody would pray in a, in a spiritual language, would speak in unknown, unknown languages, spiritual languages, that they would have this functioning in both the gifting and the private prayer. But even more that you would prophesy, and greater is the one who prophesies than the one who speaks in tongues unless he interprets so that the church may receive edifying. He's trying to help the church get to a place where they care more about edifying other people and not just blasting off in tongues so that other people think that they're spiritual. See, they were doing something wrong. He's not giving like a doctrine, a fundamental doctrine on speaking in tongues. He's telling a people that are doing something wrong how they, better, how they should do it better so that it edifies everybody. He's not doing away with tongues. That's why he says, I wish all of you spoke in tongues, but you guys are messing up here. And so we need to set you in alignment with what will help everybody. So he begins the whole chapter uh, on the gift of prophecy in different kinds of tongues. They needed this correction. He brings an understanding that if you don't have the interpretation, then we speak to God. We speak mysteries with our spirit. What does that mean? It means that we speak mysteries with our spirit. When, I, when we went to plant a church, there were some uh, people, not everybody was Pentecostal when we first went to plant a church in Kirkland 15 years ago. I went with this team, and I was the youth pastor, and it was great. And so, there was, uh, we'd go into the prayer room, and we'd pray before the service. And we would just, I mean, we would pray in a spiritual language. We weren't talking to people in a spiritual language. We weren't getting a microphone and yelling in a spiritual language. We were praying in a spiritual language. We were praying to God, like Paul says right here, speak to God. We were praying to God. But, of course, it was out loud. Everybody can hear us. We do that here. I do that while I'm worshiping. I'm not trying to offend anybody. I don't grab a microphone and start yelling at everybody in tongues. But I'm not ashamed I'm not afraid. Listen, I pray in tongues every day. You guys okay with that? And I'm like Paul. I wish all of you did. I hope all of you do. And if you don't, you can. It's not a spiritual badge, but it's it's the more. God's inviting us into more. It's awesome. So we were in the prayer room and there was this couple and man, they were nervous. I mean they were they, they were looking at the door the longer the time went on. We're blasting off. And I was a lot, you know, in those days I had no tact, barely any discernment at all. And I'm just, you know, we're just going for it. And, and they're just like this, you know, they're not praying at all. <laughs> they feel like they're being prayed upon <laughs> and they're not <laughs> praying with. You understand the difference there. And so I think one week in, maybe two weeks in, they sit down with the pastor and the team, and they're like, we, we, have, to, we have to move on. We can't be a part of this church. And we were like, well, why? We were like, yeah, we didn't, we didn't realize this, was, this is what you guys believe, that you guys, you know, speak in tongues and you guys don't have any interpretation. And we, we were like, okay, we're going to read this to you. If you don't have the interpretation, just speak to God. That's what we're doing. We're actually not talking to you. We were praying. That was a prayer room. We were praying. I never looked at you. I never made eye contact. I never yelled. It was, I mean, you're just offended because you're afraid of that gift because somebody told you that it was bad or wrong or you just got some fear around that gift. Let's get you free from that fear because this is normal Christianity. This is, people pray in in, in tongues. It's just normal. You know, I actually pray out loud and when we pray with, as a family, I pray out loud in tongues. I I want my kids to hear it. How else are they going to know what it is? and pray out loud, yes. I want my kids growing up. This is normal. Mom and dad pray in tongues. It's awesome. (laughs) Apparently, we're Pentecostal. I'm not sure. (laughs) You know there's 7,000 languages plus on the earth? Most of us know one. Some of us know two. And there's a few of us Einsteins that know more than that. There's a lot of human languages on the earth. I think we're just afraid of what we don't understand. That's what I think we're afraid of. So, he continues to talk further in verse 13. He says, therefore, let anyone who speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret. That's good. And and again, we're talking in the context of speaking out and speaking over. When you speak out to someone and you speak over people... Then we want to interpret. We want to pray that we interpret. And we know this gift is manifesting when there's faith to speak out loud so that everybody can hear it. We don't do this a lot today. I mean, you probably have never seen this very often. We used to have this happen a lot more often in our, our meetings. There was a couple people that were really honed in on it. And it was anointed. Every time they would, they would do it, somebody would interpret it, and it was anointed. And there was a prophecy that would come out. And it wasn't like the old school assembly of God. Like, yay, I say unto you, my little children. <laughs> it was like, I'm not little. <laughs> you understand? Know it's like... It's not that. It wasn't King's James, Elizabethan English. It was anointed. It was, you could, you could, you could feel something when it happened. It was like, whew, your heart would be quickened. And I've seen it. I've, I've been a part of it many times where it was healthy. We don't, the reason it's dormant is because we don't exercise it anymore. That's why, that's why we're, again, we're kind of a little skeptical of, of it. I got to move along. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays but my mind is unfruitful. What is the outcome then? I will pray with my spirit. He's talking about speaking in tongues or praying in tongues. I will pray with my mind also. So I'm going to pray with words that everybody understands. I will sing with my spirit and I will sing with my mind. Otherwise, if you bless in the spirit only, how will the, how will the one who fills the place of the ungifted say amen? Nobody's going to know what you're saying. So he's trying to say that there's two dimensions here that we need to be mindful of, but he actually references praying with my spirit. Praying in tongues. He also says singing in tongues. There's that as well. I do that, and many of us do that when we worship. That's totally biblical. Here's what I'm trying to say. It started with baptism with the Holy Spirit. There's evidence of speaking in tongues, and that was unknown to the speaker, but it was known to the hearers, and that happened. That was an anointing that happens, but it expanded into people tapping in to spiritual languages and spiritual dimensions. That's what started happening, and Paul realizes that they're actually all over the place with this, and people are like, what the heck is wrong with these people? And so he starts to clarify how these things can work to benefit one another so that we're not, you know... You exercising them at the expense of other people, right? Not being overly sensitive, though. Those people that left our original church plant, they were overly sensitive. They literally just up and left. No explanation, no reading the Bible together. We're just going to run. That's just immature. Love them. God bless them. But that's just immature. Like, we can't even work through scripture for a season. We can't. And obviously, you don't trust the leader at all. You're just up and out. I mean, you're part of a church plant for six months of a training. Program to get to the launch, and then two weeks in you're gone because you're so afraid of somebody praying in tongues next to you? I mean, thats that doesn't even make sense. But that's I've seen it over and over again, and it's just really, it's also bad exegesis. The Bible doesn't teach that. It, 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 you can see that it's there. While trying to bring them to this place of blessing and benefiting the church, he talks about praying with the Spirit, singing with the Spirit, and then he mentions, of course, he speaks in tongues more than all of them, we can pray in a spiritual language, and we can exercise it every day, and we ought to exercise it every day. I pray in, in my spiritual language every day. I, when I was baptized with the Holy Spirit, I did not speak in tongues. It was probably six, seven, eight months later where I, where I received the, this spir- spiritual language, this prayer language. But I realized what unlocked my spiritual language, and I, I'm only going to take you a few more minutes, okay? What unlocked my spiritual language was all, coming to a place where I realized I'm actually... I'm trying to be so authentic about this. I'm trying to make sure that it's God and it's not me. I'm not trying to make it happen. I'm not, I don't want somebody to manipulate me. I'm that guy. I'm a hard sell. If I go to a used car lot, good luck. I'm that guy. You're, some of you are that way. Skepticism is bad, but you have that quality about you where you're not going to get used or abused by anybody. Anybody like that in here? That's me. Man, you're not taking me, you're not taking me for no ride, okay? You got a hard sell in this guy. So that was what I was like. I wanted it to be authentic. I wanted it to be from God. I wanted it to be the real thing. And so it took me six months in my prayer closet with the Lord. And I finally, something broke in my mind, and I realized it's just about faith. Ben, are you willing to just exercise the language and sound like an idiot? That was it. There's the big secret. Poof. I'm busting it open for you. Are you willing to sound like an idiot? If you are, you can exercise this gift. But if you're not, if you want it to be sophisticated, if you want it to be this fully developed language, if you want to sound smart or edumacated, if that's what you're looking for, you're not going to release this gift. That's what happened to me. So not in front of you, not in front of somebody, not with a microphone, but in my prayer closet, I began to, just with syllables, I began to stretch this language out, and then it became a language. And you know what was really cool? A couple years later, I got another one. I got another one. And then I realized, actually, we could pray for an interpretation, both privately and publicly. Oh, my gosh. Revelation started opening up to me, and I realized, and I don't know how to prove this from Scripture. I'm just going to tell you if you were to ask me. I pray... In my spiritual language, and as I do, there are times where the Lord just gives revelation to me. I don't know what's happening. I don't know why. It says I speak mysteries with my spirit. I started to understand that one day when I was, I was praying in my spiritual language, and all of a sudden, I'm hearing things for people. I'm hearing things about God. I'm hearing as I minister because I minister to a lot of people. I am pray for a lot of people. All of a sudden, I started to hear stuff, and I realized this is a tool, not a toy, I got it all of a sudden. This isn't about a Pentecostal kind of experience. This is actually a tool that God gives. This is something he wants us to exercise because it helps us. It benefits us, but it also can benefit other people. I realized that all of a sudden. And so that brings incentive. It incentivizes the exercising of that, of that gift. And I want to I incentivize you, not just for you, but realizing that I also realized something about praying in, the spirit, in a spiritual language is that another thing that it does is it, it causes a boldness to rise up in you. I realize that, like, there's just something about praying in your spiritual language where there's this like a boldness where you just want to slam the enemy on the ground. I mean, I don't know how to explain it, and there are people that are more eloquent and they, they get written, write books about this stuff, but I tell you, I just want to break a demon's neck. I don't know. You just move out of that, like, exhaustion where you no longer know what to pray. You're, you're just like, God, I pray you do this. I pray you do this. And you're just like, <sighs> you don't have anything else to say, and then you just start going you start going in the spirit and all of a sudden you're just released like a, like a holy anger. I don't know how to, in the spirit, like something has, starts to happen. And it doesn't mean that if you don't pray in a spiritual language that you don't actually have that happen. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that it does that. There's, there's the, the, that's one of the advantages that I've learned about praying in a spiritual language. If you were to ask me, then tell me what advantages there are to praying this way. What advantages are there for me even to leave this meeting tonight and go seek this on my own? What advantage, tell me about that. You speak mysteries with your spirit, and sometimes God clues you into those mysteries. It also extends your prayer time. People say, man, Ben, I don't pray in in the spirit. I don't pray with my spirit. I don't pray in the spiritual language. And the first question that I ask people is, do you pray, though? That's one of those, like, Um, do you pray? Because if you don't spend time in the secret place, You don't want more. See what I'm saying? If you don't spend time with God in prayer, you don't want more that you can use in your time in prayer because you don't spend any time there. You don't find that you need more tools for that place because you don't go to that place. It's not a rebuke. It's just a rebuke. Do Do you understand what I'm saying? If you don't go to that place, you don't want more. So when you go to that place and you start realizing your helplessness, your frustration, your ability, your lack or your inability to articulate words and, and, and really prayers that you're offering to God, you realize that all of a sudden you, you, this becomes more appealing. It becomes more important. That's the praying in a personal language, a personal spiritual language. The gift of different kinds of tongues and interpretation is different in that it is about public prophecy. Like right now, if we were to say, God, will you give one of us the gift of different kinds of tongues, whatever tongue that it might be, and we were to pray that, it's unknown to us, it could be a spiritual language, it could be an earthly language, actually the Bible doesn't define that, it doesn't even tell us which one it's supposed to be, so you can't really even make that case. God can do whatever He wants to do. It doesn't really matter whether it's one of the 7,000 languages on the earth that we don't know. Or it's an angelic tongue. don't think it really matters. We don't know it anyway, so we just need the interpretation. So if we were to ask for that, God were to give that, and then we pray, and we ask God for the interpretation, and that might come from the speaker, but it also might come from somebody else that hears, and then they come up and, and share it, and that's how that functions. That how, that's how that operates, and just because you've never seen it happen, and it sounds strange, doesn't mean it's not powerful. Here's what I believe, and we've got to believe this. Let's land here tonight, okay? Let's land right here. What God gives us in spiritual gifts, we need. That means that if we're not exercising these gifts, we are missing out on something. So it doesn't mean we get frustrated with everybody in here or our leaders. Oh, man, my leaders are horrible. They never exercise this gift. Maybe they've never seen it. Maybe they've never been trained in it. Give a little grace, you know. Give some grace. But there's more. He wouldn't give it to us if we didn't need it. That's my theology. It's very simple. So I stop making reasons. I, I, I don't write pages on what this isn't. I want to write pages what this is, right? That's bad theology, everything that this is not. You, you do that a little bit. Jesus did that. He taught about what prayer wasn't, but then he taught about re- what prayer was, and then he modeled it. See, that, we, we've, we've got to have these solutions. So the function of tongues and interpretation is the same as prophecy. It's to strengthen, encourage, comfort, confirm, and reveal because when the tongue comes in the public gathering, the interpretation comes, and it's prophetic. So it carries with it an exhortation. It carries with it insight for prayer. It carries with it something specific that we need from the Holy Spirit. Amen? Here's what I want to do tonight. Okay, Drew, if you would come. I I took you over like I always do because I preach until I'm done. But this is a class, and technically when I teach classes, they're two and a half hours. So I don't feel bad. Here's what I want to do. Online people, are you still with us? This means yes. I can discern that they're shaking their head yes. <laughs> I, I want to um, I encourage you of a couple things, all right? You came to this class, so, you, so I have the right to do this. I want to encourage you to, to grow in, in this way, that you and I can, I want to carry Paul's wish, his desire. He said, I wish that all of you spoke in tongues. And what he was talking about in that time, remember there's three different arenas that we talked about. He was talking about praying in a spiritual language. He wanted that for them. He also wanted them, if, if, he had, if they had to choose, benefit people, right, by prophesying. But we have to be people that, ha, that are after everything that God gives and be relentless about everything that God gives. We don't have to be everything, but if it's for us, we, we want it. And I want to encourage you down that road. If you do not have a prayer language, I won't, I'm not speaking down to you, but I'm telling you that you can have this and it can break. If, you, if, you're, if you're like me and you wanted it to be authentic, you wanted it to be real, you didn't want it to be coerced, you didn't want it to be fake. I'm telling you, I know exactly what you're going through. I know exactly how you're thinking. I am like you. And I'm telling you, it is literally as simple as asking God for it and opening your mouth and starting to speak syllables. And I know it sounds stupid. It sounds like it's not real. But that is, it's, it's called faith. It says it and we start to act on it. And God doesn't shame those that step out on what they're reading. Even if they miss it, it's like me and my, my kids, like my son, he steps, he steps up to the plate and if he swings for the home run and he strikes out, I'm like, man, good try, man. I make a hero out of him for stepping up to the plate and just exercising what he has, what he knows. I, I make a hero out of him. But for people that don't get up to the plate and they don't swing, it's just not a lot to work with, right? So We have that guilty conscience that we walk around with because we don't try anything. We don't step out on anything. I'm telling you, this is authentic. It comes from God. He gives the syllables. He gives the words, and it will benefit your life. I can't convince you more than I've tried tonight, but it is for us. And the only reason we wouldn't think that is because we had some prior training that told us it wasn't, or we had a lot of teaching that said, it isn't this, and it isn't this, and it isn't this. And I'm telling you, it leads us to those dead ends. God is leading us into this ever-increasing more, and this is a dimension, this is an arena that He wants to lead us further in. If you don't have a spiritual language, I want to pray for you tonight.